You're listening to The Close-Up, the Film Society of Lincoln Center's podcast series. This is Brian Brooks. And this is Eugene Hernandez. This edition of The Close-Up features filmmaker Laura Poitras at the 52nd New York Film Festival. There had been intense speculation about filmmaker Laura Poitras' documentary Citizen Four before it finally made its world premiere near the end of the New York Film Festival. The film is the final installment in a trilogy she began in the early 2000s about post-9-11 America with the films My Country, My Country and The Oath. Both films screened at our New Director's New Film series, and in March of 2011, Laura was presented the Martin Siegel Award, a prize named in honor of the founder of the Film Society of Lincoln Center. In January 2013, Laura was in the process of constructing a film about alleged abuses related to national security in post-9-11 America when she started receiving encrypted emails from someone identifying himself as, quote-unquote, Citizen Four. This anonymous individual said to Poitras that he was ready to blow the whistle on the massive covert surveillance programs run by the NSA and other intelligence agencies. In June of 2013, she and reporter Glenn Greenwald flew to Hong Kong for the first of many meetings with the man who turned out to be Edward Snowden. She brought her camera with her and documented Snowden in his hotel room as she and Greenwald introduced him and his revelations to the world. The world premiere of Citizen Four at the New York Film Festival received multiple standing ovations as Poitras, Glenn Greenwald, the family of Edward Snowden, and others joined together on stage. She sat down the next day with the Film Society programmer Dennis Lim in the final weekend of NYFF to discuss Citizen Four and her filmmaking work. Let's listen to the HBO director's dialogue, Laura Portress and Dennis Lim at the 52nd New York Film Festival. One thing I wanted to do first was um, put this film, Citizen Four, in, in the context of um, a trilogy of films that you've been working on since 9-11 now. Uh, my Country, My Country being the first one, and then The Oath. Uh, could you talk a little bit about how this trilogy began? Um, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, so the first film that I made on this um, was a film about the occupation of Iraq. And, uh, and I didn't actually conceptualize it at that point that it would be a larger body of work. Um, but the, the, the way that that film came about is, I, was, I mean, I'm, I'm a New Yorker and uh, was here on 9-11 and sort of witnessed the kind of, what I felt was this kind of, that we were at this sort of historical moment of, you know, that the country could move in many directions. And I just remember feeling um, uh, there was a sense of, you know, compassion at, at, that, at that moment and then seeing sort of this kind of darkness sort of come in over the country. And then as, as the buildup for the Iraq War was, began, um, I was, you know, like psychologically had a sense of like real feeling of despair, like that this, that, that this idea that, that the country would engage in a unilateral act of war against a country on the idea that they might do us, you know, like this, that, that was preemptive war and that this was like a sort of a radical departure. Um, and so that was happening. And simultaneously, we also had the opening of Guantanamo and this, you know, sort of prison where people were being sent without charge and all these things happening. And I just felt like that there was a sense that, um, that the country had sort of moved in a direction I thought it was very disturbing. And that as a documentarian that I, that I actually had some skills that could help understand it. Um, at, at the very least, pr provide a historical record, you know, like that, um, that if you, 
that maybe the, these policies won't change this year, but, but to have a record is, is important. And so I, the sort of motivating force of, of going to Iraq was a feeling of despair. And, uh, and I, you know, that's kind of the sort of starting point and then I ended up going there in 2004. Um, and with all my work, there, there's kind of some sort of similarities, which is first there are some general themes that I'm interested in exploring. And then I go into the field and then I um, end up following people over a period of time that something's hap unfolding in real time that I understand the questions that I go in asking. But what happens is there's a trans transition between what my original ideas are and how they change when I'm actually on the ground working with people. That there's always this kind of shift that happens. And so when I went to Iraq, I was the question that I wanted to to understand was are the contradictions between like this idea that the, the United States was occupying a country to bring democracy. I mean, this just seems like profoundly tragic. I mean, could, on, could only lead to, um, to tragedy and failure. Uh, and I went there and, um, and ended up spending um, uh, eight months filming. And, and then I had to sort of recalibrate because I learned something different. There was one thing to have my sort of, my my opinion of the war as an American was different than what um, the situation was on the ground for Iraqis. And so the film changes and sort of gets um, recast once it's kind of um, sort of I've identified th through whom I'm going to spend time and, and, and film. And when I was um, in Iraq, so I, I didn't conceive of this as a trilogy, but while I was there, or right before I went, there was also a part of me that was pulling to, to say, okay, I really want to do something about Guantanamo, like that this idea that we have a prison, that people are being sent there and that they haven't been charged, and that's sort of outside the law, was also you know, staggering in its sort of disturbing precedence for what, what the US was doing in response to 9-11. Um, and so, but I had to make a choice. I said, okay, well, I'm gonna go to Iraq and, and make that film thinking that, of course, Guantanamo would be closed by the time I finished the film. And, uh, and when I was editing um, uh, My Country, My Country that summer, and of course, Guantanamo was still open then, as we know, um, I knew that that would sort of be the next chapter. And that's when I sort of realized that there was gonna be a larger body of work, that, that this wasn't, that, that, the, that the US response to 9-11 wasn't just a, you know, um, uh, an emergency crisis moment, but was actually going to be a sort of sustained systemic um, sort of, dr you know, uh, drifting outside of, I think, what we um, think of as basic principles um, that, of, of our country. So, so that's when it became sort of a longer, uh, a longer term project. And, and I always uh, felt that sort of what I wanted to do with the last piece was to kind of bring it home and that, and that, um, you know that the the war on terror, the so-called war on terror, doesn't it's it's doesn't just unfold in in you know Iraq or or other countries, but that it's it began very much in you know in the immediate aftermath of 9/11. I mean, we have you know a number of things that sort of um, cast a shadow to today. So you have the authorization of military force, which is still being used um, in a lot of um, the the. In whatever in the drone program and other things to sort of justify what the government's doing, but we also had the um, surveillance of Americans. I mean, we know that. I mean, Bill Binney. I don't. I don't know if he's still here. Um, yeah, he's still here. Uh, it, <laughs> so when did they bring the servers in to spy on Americans? Like, was it September two thousand and one? The last week of September. Okay. So you know, all these things sort of happened. 
you know, immediately, and that included, you know, domestic surveillance. I know that was one of the, you know, we were preparing to um, uh, the war in, in Afghanistan, and we were preparing the surveillance of American citizens. And so, so it was something that I had. Uh, it's kind of how it's played out there in 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 the U.S. And, if, and as we know, um, it was Muslims who were mostly, you know, targeted in in that. So, so surveillance, it it you know, it was something that I thought well, it was a theme that I was interested in in. Um, and exploring. Um, and in terms of the second chapter, it looks at, at, at Guantanamo and the War on Terror, and that's a film that I shot um, mostly in Yemen. It was actually shot in Yemen, and it's shot at Guantanamo. I, I'd love to hear you say a little bit more about this, um, the approach that you, you've taken in all three films, which um, I think shift very effectively between these micro and macro perspectives. Um, I think there are films that help us understand um, the political through the personal. Um, you've, you, know, you, you start with a the large theme, the occupation of Iraq or Guantanamo Bay or surveillance, but then you find um, a person, an individual, and then in telling their story, um, the film opens back up into, you know, uh, opens up a space for these, these issues. Um, can you say a little bit about I mean, I know it's a big question, but like, you know, this, this going back and forth between um, micro and macro. Yeah, I mean, that's what you describe is, I mean, I, I would just in terms of people who maybe don't, aren't that familiar with documentary filmmaking, I mean, my work falls into the tradition of cinema verte, which is, it's not telling stories, it's not sitting down and doing interviews and asking people about what happened to them in the past, which there are a lot of documentaries, a lot of good documentaries that are made that way, but I'm really interested in being there when things are unfolding in real time. And, and in that process, it, it involves um, usually spending a lot of time in the field and being going along on, a, on some sort of a, a journey. And, and in that, you know, is contained basic human drama, you know, like in a, so for instance, in, in Iraq, I filmed um, with a doctor in Baghdad and his family, and it was, and he runs for elections, so it's leading up to the elections, and in, in, in the end results, you get a narrative that's, you know, that you can look at in the, from, from past perspective, and it seems to feel, in some sense, as narratives are, our lives feel maybe somewhat inevitable, that the, that you, that you, that you arrive at the conclusion that you do, but actually when it's unfolding, or when life is unfolding, it's actually always um, a series of, you know, questions and challenges like which path to take, and that each decision could lead to different consequences. And so, and that's all sort of the heart of drama. And, um, and so what I tried, you know, or what I'm sort of compelled to do is, is try to document that as it's happening. And with this idea of, you know, like creating, like I mean, I'm really interested in understanding the human consequences and and how people confront conflict and and risk and the choices that they make. So, so I'm I'm interested in implicating the audience on a on a very much an, an emotional level, um, and I'm also really really committed to um, creating primary documents. Like I like to I don't I'm not interested in what people think about things. I'm interested in how people act, and and that usually happens by going into into a situation and 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 documenting it, and then and then and then it does usually reflect back, you know, into a, a, a broader context. Um, and I'm, and uh, and I don't want to lose that sort of larger political um, universe. 
could you talk a bit about how um, your relationship with your, I guess, your primary subject um, shapes your, you know, of your approach? Um, the, the Sunni doctor in my country, my country, um, Abu Jandal, um, you know, the former bin Laden bodyguard turned taxi driver in the oath, and then now, of course, Edward Snowden. Um, I, I, I think in each one you have a somewhat different relationship, a different stance towards this protagonist of the piece. Um, and how does that affect um, your decisions in, in making the film? Um, yeah, I mean, you're right that each each project has a sort of unique, you know, dynamic. Um, with um, uh, with the film My Country, My Country, which follows a doctor in Baghdad, uh, he I had actually gone to Baghdad originally with um, with permission to film this um, the military civil affairs, where the people who can um, oversee elections and and I got to Baghdad and I realized that that the, that the U.S. military that was there was not interacting at all with the Iraqi population, and and that was, uh, you know, profoundly disturbing. You know that they were sort of staying. They created you know this green zone, and they didn't leave it, and um, and that there was limited interaction or honest interaction. There was some interaction, but it didn't feel particularly honest. And then I was invited to um, film an inspection at Abu Ghraib prison, and uh, it was right after the the photographs were published in the in the New Yorker. And that's where I met the doctor. And then he, you know, I, I, and I thought, I, I mean, I didn't go to Iraq thinking that, you know, uh, an Iraqi family would invite me into their home because of, you know, there were substantial risks for them to take in an American. Um, and, but at, at Abu Ghraib, he said, you should come and, and visit my clinic. And, and he was, and then I started filming in his clinic. And, you know, he was, an, you know, incredibly... Um, courageous person who was, was already taking enormous risks. He was, you know, um, in, running for office at the time where people were being assassinated regularly. You know, all of, many of his, you know, colleagues were, had, had, you know, died in the war. And, and I think he felt with me that, that, well, at least, you know, potentially this was a way so that the world would understand how, how what this war, the impact of this war is for Iraqis. Um, and, uh, and so I ended up, you know, spending you know, living with him in, in his neighborhood and then also shuttling between that and, and in the green zone where I had had access to film with the U.S. military and I also had access with the U.N. and private security contractors. So I sort of moved in different spaces. Um, and the um, with The Oath, which was a film I made um, that I shot in Yemen, which just looks at two things. It looks, the protagonist, one protagonist is a man named Abu Jandal who worked as Ben Laden's bodyguard and was driving a taxi cab in Yemen, and his brother-in-law, Salim Hamdan, who was imprisoned at Guantanamo. And it, it cuts between those two. And, and that relationship was a little bit, it was, it was more distant. I was working with um, a, a producer in Yemen who was sort of my main contact through Abu Jandal. Um, and uh, I, you know, that the access was harder in that case. And, uh, and then also in Guantanamo, that was, uh, I actually wasn't filming in Guantanamo. It was uh, my colleagues Kirsten Johnson and Jonathan Oppenheim who who had the crew there, and they were filming Salim Hamdan's trial. Um, and at that point, you know, at Guantanamo, you don't actually get to, you know, film the prisoners. So they were sort of filming the, the activity around the trial. So we'd always perceived as Hamdan as kind of an absent protagonist, like he was a bit of a ghost. And then Abu Jandal um, was in Yemen, and uh, and you know, it was. Uh, I mean, 
in, when I went to Yemen, I was actually interested in telling a different story. I was interested in somebody coming home from Guantanamo and what happens if, you know, being released. And then I, I met Abu Jandal, who was driving a taxi cab and was really fascinated by him, but was also, you know, nervous about what it meant in terms of how do you make a, you know, he's a complicated character, he's an unreliable narrator, he's, you don't always quite know, he's, shift, he's shifty. And, um, uh, and then in terms of working on, on Citizen Four, it, it was the, the sort of the relationship or the entrance into the story was, was different. I was contacted by an anonymous source and over several months built up a, a, a conversation and, and, and dialogue and in that learned that here was somebody who was actually risking their life to reveal information and that he was also going to reveal his identity, which was going to, you know, have unravel his life, and that he that that he was um, entrusting me with both this material, and um, and then also, uh, I think uh, he, there's a there's a moment where he writes a letter, basically saying, you know, I, I want you to paint a target on my back, like I want you to say this is, you know, it's up to you what you do, but actually I'm gonna take responsibility for this. And so it, it, it was, I was pulled in probably at a, you know, deeper sort of, um, uh, you know, the relationship between what, um, yeah, my obligation as, as, a, as a journalist to protect him as a source and, and then also being very aware of the really, um, you know, extraordinary risks he was taking to, to come forward. But that, um, the fact that he contacted you, um, which is how the film starts, um, that in itself is, is a huge thing. I mean, that creates a kind of um, an intimacy, in a way, a bond between the two of you, which is, I think, what the first act of Citizen Four does with these um, email exchanges. Um, you know, the, it creates a sense of mystery, and it also cultivates a certain in in intimacy, which is very different from this sort of fascinated distance that you have with um, the protagonist of the oath, obviously, where you is a complicated figure, you allow his complications to emerge. Um, here, I'm, I was wondering if that intimacy was something you had to grapple with as, you know, in shooting Snowden. I, you know, I mean, it was clear for, with this film that I needed to, it needed to be told from a, a subjective perspective, right? That I was a participant. I wasn't an, an observer in the same way, like I could say in, in, in Iraq that I was observing things happening, you know, yes, I was there, but, um, but in this case, clearly I had to, you know, that the, the, the story needed to be told from a subjective point of view. Um, and, uh, and, but that was an obvious decision. And, and, and it, but it didn't necessarily change the sort of the, w the way that I work, but it meant that I had to uh, incorporate you know, myself into the story. Um, you talked about being you know, steeped in the, the verite tradition. Um, I was wondering if you could, you know, this, this comes across a lot in, in, I think, the hotel room sequences in Citizen Four. Um, people al always talk about the, the role of the camera, um, you know, and it's, it's something people talked about in the history of documentary film and history of, of cinema, like the camera as a, as a witness, but also possibly as a, a catalyst, um, you know, and, and you were shooting immediately, uh, as far as I can tell in the film. You know, you get into the room and you take out your camera and you're shooting him. Uh, can you say a bit about, you know, you... Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so I did, I mean, 
uh, everybody, I mean, the people that I was traveling with knew that I'd be filming. Um, uh, and so I had their consent. Uh, and I did take out the camera really soon. And partly it was because, I mean, I don't know how many people here, you know, know Glenn's work, but, you know, he doesn't, he gets down to business. <laughs> and I knew he was going to get down to business pretty quickly. And I didn't want to sort of, you know, have been polite and not taken out the camera and, and then missed what I felt was an important, um, you know, uh, encounter or meeting. And, uh, and so that was one of the reasons. And then it was also probably a nervousness. Like I, it was, you know, I had been in conversation anonymously with someone and then actually to meet him, you know, there wasn't a need to sort of, we were, I think we were both very surprised how young he was. I think we had different expectations. And so it was probably just also a way to um, channel a kind of nervousness and to take out the camera. Uh, but I've, I, I've filmed in many, you know, I've many, many incredibly intimate situations or dangerous situations. And there, there is, of course, the camera never goes away. I mean, it's there. But there also is a way that you can, you know, establish a kind of trust very, very quickly and, uh, and, and be able to film. But I, I definitely the first day when, um, when Glenn was, um, you know, doing this, he did an ex the, f the, f the first day he did an extended interview with, with Snowden, which was lasted three or four hours, or actually four or five hours, I think, and um, and it was you know it was pretty extraordinary moment. But we were still sort of breaking the ice, like we were trying to 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 get to know each other, and and I think you see that in the film, like there's a progression of um, uh, of the relationship that that unfolds. Um, did you have a sense after you left Hong Kong that? that that would be the heart of the film, that, that, that you would be, the film would be structured around that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not the sort of thing that happens every day. And, <laughs> and, and that it was, yeah, I think it was, I think it was clear that, I mean, for me, that, that given the sort of, I'm really interested in, in trying to tell narratives through, you know, real events happening in real time, and that here, you know, was the, in, I think what we could say is probably the largest national security leak and, and one of the most important journalist, you know, uh, journalistic um, uh, disclosures happening in real time that I was able to film. I mean, it doesn't happen every day. And, and I knew that, um, that that would probably form um, around which the rest of the film would be structured. And so what we've always felt of it is like it's kind of the core of the film and then that there are reverberations that, that come out of it. Can you say a bit about um, you know having to finish this film and having it stand alone, even as the story is mm -hmm. is playing out? Um, there's um, there's a, a piece by George Packer in the New Yorker that's um, already online, and which you there's a quote, um, I think a great quote from you where you say narrative. You talk about the dangers of narrative and narrative it being you know a dangerous thing and possibly um, a reductive and simplifying thing. Um, but you know this having this this material but not really wanting to impose like too strong of a narrative template on it. I mean, so Mathilde, uh, my editor and I, I mean, we talked a lot about not wanting this film to feel like it's contained. Like this is not, what Snowden did is, and the repercussions is not about like finding a resolution. Like we, it's, these are the, the, his actions will have reverberations into the future. And we don't, we don't know, you know, how, how what those are yet, but and so I wanted the film not to feel that it's trying to, you know, to make it a neat ending like that. That we, we wanted it to 
to sort of push beyond the frame um, and and not be about you know the film is about him, but in, also it's not about him. It's it's about people who come forward and and take risks and um, uh, and and so, sort of waves of that happening. And and I we we there's there is a danger because that that it would if it only focused on him that we would feel like it's oh it's it's everything is contained and things are fine and and actually in fact things aren't and you know even the things that he's exposed. Um, has changed consciousness, but there are still, you know, these these programs still are in existence, and um, and we wanted it to be an uneasy um, ending. Uh, I I know the ending obviously deals with very um, sensitive, um, you know, information. This and and this and a, uh, a new source is alluded to. Can um, I obviously don't want you to talk about anything. Um, that you're not comfortable with, but the, can you talk about at least shaping that ending, which is um, edited, shot and edited in a very suggestive way, uh, you know, without obviously divulging any information that you cannot. Right. Um, so, I mean, as you see, so the first act of the film shows um, one whistleblower, William Benny, coming forward and what happens to him. So this is somebody within, within the agency who, who raised concerns and he talks about, he gives a narrative of what happened, which is the FBI showed up with guns. Um, and 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 that kind of kicks off, you know. And then, you know, parallel to that is is Snowden's decision to come forward. And and I think that, you know, the the um, there are and and I also like to say in terms of sources, there there are multiple sources. Like this idea, people often say a second source, a third. I mean, there are multiple sources that of people who come forward and speak to journalists on a daily basis at great risk. Um, and uh, and we wanted to basically highlight our, uh, the the threat to journalism, like that that the surveillance poses to to journalism and also to to sources or whistleblowers who come forward, and that that there is you know um, the the extreme dangers of these technologies to uh, that, that to a to a free press basically you know that that the the extreme measures that. I've had to go through that you see Glenn writing on notes. Um, you talk, Binny talks about, you know, you need to go into, you know, um, a basement and not use your phone. I mean, these are really extreme measures to do the, what, you know, basic journalism. And, and that's kind of the environment that, that we find ourselves in. And we wanted to sort of, our, in the film, underline these, these threats and these risks and also the extraordinary risks that people take to come forward. I mean, because I think um, uh, the danger being that um, we lose sight of the of the of the risks that that whistleblowers take, and 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 it was very important that we underline that in the film. Um, have you shown the film to to Ed Snowden? And can you talk about about that? Yeah, um, with all my films, I've shown the film uh, or a cut of the film or almost final cut of the film to the people who are who are in it, um, and uh, I myself and um, my editor, we traveled to to Moscow to, to screen it. And this is when we had gotten permission from Lindsay Mills uh, to, to reveal in the film that she had moved there. So we, we screened it for, for him and her, and, uh, and then also filmed the, the scene that we see at the end of the film where they're together cooking. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, he didn't, I mean, his as you see, he says this in the in the film that he does he's not the story he doesn't want to be the story and so 
and that I had to convince him, uh, you know, to to let me film and, and and why it was important. And so I think, you know, his response to the film was um, it was incredibly generous and it was incredibly thoughtful. And I think it was probably very difficult for Lindsay to watch because she lived that experience from a very different perspective. Um, but it was it was actually probably one of the most profound screenings I've I've done. Um, and but then he also he took a lot of notes and a lot of them were technical notes like about like okay be you know like op like technical in the sense of op operational security notes like you know like do you know has this been redacted and that and just make sure because there are certain things that we we you know we're careful about what to include on the frame because we know it's going to be studied very closely um, by you know uh, to, it's going to be studied closely to see what. The, the every frame reveals like where is there a thumb drive or where is there you know a computer screen or the, all those things will be scrutinized so we we were very careful to to make changes where we needed to um, and so he had he had notes about that but it was um, yeah it was very um, supportive at screening as you just noted I mean we do hear him say in the film that he's you know he's not the story and he doesn't want to be the story um, how do you I mean, reconcile. What do you make of that statement, and how do you reconcile that with making a film in which, on some level, he is the story? Right. No, I'm, I wouldn't disagree that you know he, he. I did make a film where he's the story. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, how would I? I mean, I would say that you know here's somebody who took a profound human risk, um, and that 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 it's to share that with the world is important because we can understand you know his choices and and that that's you know incredibly powerful not just on the issue of surveillance that he wanted to expose but just on a human level that you know somebody taking these kinds of risks is something we can learn from and that it's um, and but I also think he's he's incredibly humble and and doesn't want to be um, the focus of attention so I'm, and I, I'm sympathetic because you know I'm I don't put myself in my films, you know probably for you know, I, I'm it doesn't make me comfortable um, to do that so I sort of can relate to where he's coming from. Given that you say you're not you know comfortable putting yourself in your films, can you talk about the decision to to be the voice to to be reading the the emails? Yeah. Um, so yeah, for those who maybe haven't seen it that. Um, the first act of the film, uh, I'm reading emails that, that Snowden had written me um, before uh, we went to Hong Kong. And the, I knew that the letters would be part of the film because they were just, I mean, from a personal experience, they were incredibly profound to receive. I mean, they, at first it was like, you know, intriguing and then terrifying and then, you know, tragic. I mean, they were sort of everything because I could see um, the uh, w what he was risking and and the you know the dangers that that he was exposing. So I knew that it, I, I wanted to be part of the film. And my first thought, the obvious thought, was to ask him to read them. And and I just I couldn't bring myself to ask. And then when after uh, I you know sort of in the creative process when you can't bring yourself to do something you have to sort of understand why it, why that is, and I, I I realized that I couldn't ask him to relive that like that it was wrong to ask him to go, sort of go into that space, um, and recount those the words that he was um, saying and it also was against sort of the kind of filmmaking that I'm interested in which is 
things not being too um, constructed, right? That's sort of things happening in real time. And then I realized, okay, well, then the only other person to read them would be me, and then to try to do it as a more of an in, internal space. Like, what was it like to receive these? And so then I, um, uh, I guess, you know, s several months ago, just checked into a hotel room alone and brought, a, you know, some tape, you know, some sound recording equipment and read the letters, uh, and which kind of made me have to revisit, you know, the those months when I was receiving them. So that was the that was a decision that I, I just I didn't it didn't feel right. And then also I think maybe there was something I wanted to mirror in the experience of of the exchange is that I was in dialogue with someone who I didn't know, it's completely anonymous and then met and then there was like a recalibration of who that person was. So if we had begun it with his voice, if I'd begun the film with his voice, there would be a continuity that wouldn't have that same kind of Oh, re, re, recalibration that I wanted. Okay, uh, why don't we open it up for audience questions? I think there are mics. Hello, did it work? Yes, hi. Uh, I'm Olivier Mahoney, I'm a French reporter. I love the movie and I, I have a question about when you discover, uh, I mean, how was the atmosphere in, in, in the room at the, at the 10th floor of, of this hotel? I mean, it seems to be very relaxed. I mean, that was my perception, at least, when I saw the premiere yesterday, and that was a big surprise. I mean, he actually comes out as a very cool and fun and nice guy, I have to say. That's my perception as well. I'd like to hear about your perception. And did you have the feeling that you were living history at that moment? I mean, he was incredibly composed and had reached a point, like he was kind of almost in a Zen state. And, uh, and I, I, I think it's partly his personality, but I think it's also, he had made decisions and that he'd arrived at that point, and so he was calm. Like whatever, whatever happened, he was calm. And I didn't feel the same. I felt, you know, all, all I could feel, this was dangerous and not quite sure how, how, how it would unfold. And, uh, and I had an experience as a filmmaker, I mean, I've filmed in conflict zones and I've been in dangerous situations, but this one I felt like was kind of psychologically sort of off the charts in terms of what um, I was trying to process simultaneously. And it basically felt like a free fall, like that everything, that we had very little time, that we, that the stakes were huge, um, and that, you know, you hope that the skills that you've developed over time will kick in so that you can do what you need to do in that moment. Um, but I was, it was pretty overwhelming um, situation to, to be in. And yeah, I was very aware of the historical magnitude of, of it. Um, and, and just, you know, you know, did my best to, to, to document what, what I saw. Um, hi, I'm, yeah, hi. hi. Uh, it seems to me that one way to read a trilogy is as um, a very ambitious attempt to kind of explore and map the side effects of the Patriot Act and, and pretty much everything. Of the what? Of the Patriot Act. Okay. And, and everything that uh, followed 9-11. And I wonder if maybe you can um, think, I mean, what is the biggest danger to America, the democracy today? How would you define that and isolate that? I mean, I, I mean, I, hopefully the film articulates some of those things. I mean, I think they sort of move towards, I mean, the, the, the growth of the, uh, you know, intelligence industry, the sort of, 
uh, power coalescing in the executive branch, trying to, you know, sort of abandon, you know, notions of rule of law, the lack of accountability. I mean, we have, you know, the CIA that we know have tortured people, and we, um, you know, we have a president who says we tortured folks. I mean, these are really disturbing kind of precedents. And so I, I think, you know, combined, I mean, I think they all sort of are part of a, of a, you know, really frightening response to to the attacks of 9/11, and that um, you know, I think you know, executive power, I guess, is you know, is the most dangerous thing right now to and secrecy to democracy in the in the U.S. and how did you secure your film at the end of each day to make it safe? Okay, um, so in Hong Kong, yeah, I mean, I'd, so uh, I have been encrypting, I've been using encrypted um, hard drives to keep all my footage for, you know, well before I went to Hong Kong, but I knew that this was like at a different level. So um, I, yeah, I had prepared many, um, in, you know, encrypted drives where I offloaded uh, the material. I, there was somebody I had contact with locally who I was dropping off, I was giving backups to, so if, if anyone came, you know, raided my hotel room, there would be backups. Um, and I destroyed the, I destroyed the um, original media because, you know, the media doesn't encrypt. So, um, so I backed it up, got it off site, and then destroyed the media as I was going. And then when I left the country, when I left Hong Kong, left a backup there and, and then took, um, took everything else to Berlin. Um, and that's, that's been the protocol, but we've been, I mean, the editing room, um, I mean, we were just doing the sound mixing and, you know, everybody and sort of on this team has had to learn a lot about encryption, um, to work on this project and, and, you know, adds a certain amount of time and like lots of passwords and stuff, but, um, but we've needed to keep like all the material, all the source material, um, secure. So, uh, that's, that's what we've done. Some questions in the some questions in the front. We need to bring the mic up. Uh, a quick question. In regard to the title of your movie, did you communicate with Snowden under the alias Cincinnatus or just under Citizen Four? Mm -hmm. um, uh, under. Uh, Actually, Citizen Four, um, Cincinnati is what, how he contacted. He was, he was in touch with Glenn. Um, uh, what he he had changed um, aliases depending on who he was talking to. So Citizen Four is um, the alias that he used with me. But he, there was actually also other aliases, and I switched aliases. There was a lot of what he um, describes as divorcing metadata, where we hopped off of <laughs> like we we were talking one way, and then we changed and we started talking another way so we divorced that metadata from you know these handles from that handle and that happened sort of um, several times during during the course of our correspondence um, and yeah thank you very much in Hong Kong did you have a feeling that you were observed. Was there any sense that the Chinese government knew of your presence? And did you sense that uh, Snowden felt secure, that he had a sense of his endpoint, where he was headed? I, right. Um, 
I think, you know, I think if, you know, you're a three journalist, you know, arriving in Hong Kong at the same time, I think it probably, you know, there were, there were people who were, um, you know, might have noted our presence, but, uh, and I did feel that after, I mean, after we released the video, then I definitely, um, you know, was being followed. Uh, you, you know, in the, in the hotel room, I, I, you know, we didn't have any evidence that there was, you know, any um, any surveillance happening there. But I can't I can't answer that, you know, definitively. Um, and then the last part of your question, in terms of how did Snowden seem to behave? You said he felt very contained, calm, under control. Did he? Did you have a sense that he was not revealing, but was aware roughly where he was going to end up, what his end point is? Did he feel secure? And generally, someone in that position would be very apprehensive. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't describe as... I think that he... Had, he his, I, I think his planning kind of went to the point of, I want to, you know, meet with journalists and release this material. And I think that that's, you know, the, the risk that he had taken. And I, and I think that beyond that, I think he didn't feel secure. Um, and you see that, I think, in the, in the final scene where he's um, with, the, with the lawyers, where he's leaving. Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty about what would happen. Uh, but I think his, his planning took him to this point where, you know, he had made certain risks. He'd calculated that he wanted to get this information out. He had done that. And, and that was where he had, um, you know, planned to. Um, in the film, first of all, it's a fantastic film, and congratulations, and thank you. Um, but you, uh, there's a point where you and Glenn Greenwald are going back and forth talking about the possible danger of coming back to the United States. Can you talk about what happened from then until now as far as your ability to come into the United States, the changing legal position of all of that, and how this film might eventually help um, open up things for, for Edward Snowden even? Um, I mean, Glenn and I were really nervous. Um, uh, I, you know, I went from Hong Kong, I went to Berlin where I was living, he went back to Rio, and we were very nervous about um, traveling to the US. And I think the, uh, there was a very sort of tense period um, in the summer, which included when the US downed the, the plane of um, the Bolivian president, and, uh, and when David Miranda was detained in the UK under the terrorism law. I mean, there was a real sense that, um, that the government, that the US government was trying to figure out what they could do to contain um, the publication. And, and so there was a very palpable sense of danger and, and obvious um, that it wouldn't be a good idea for either Glenn or I to, to travel back, I think, in that period. As the sort of stories unfolded and we saw the public response, I think the, the, the dynamic changes. And, uh, and we decided, Glenn and I traveled back to New York together. We did it actually in a coordinated way. Um, he, he was in Berlin and then we, we came together on a plane with lawyers from the ACLU and we had lawyers meeting us um, to receive the, uh, the Polk Award. And we used that as an occasion to, you know, to create, create maximum political pressure, like if they were going to try to, you know, subpoena us or, or, or worse, that, you know, that there would be a lot of attention. And, but that was in April um, uh, 2014, so it was almost a year after um, our, our time in Hong Kong. Uh, and, yeah, I was nervous. I mean, I, I, won't, I won't lie. I mean, I was, you know, I was concerned that 
if I'd got caught up in a subpoena process, that it would um, hinder my ability to finish the film. And, and I hadn't finished yet, and so I f it was a bit of a, a risk, I felt. Um, but I, I also, you know, we didn't want to be intimidated, and, and we felt that, um, that it was important to, 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 to return. So, yeah, we did that together. Hello. Um, I was thinking about your just raw footage while you were going and having this interview with Edward Snowden. Clearly, this is a very important primary source in terms of historical research about this time, let's say, in the future. And obviously, while you're making this documentary, I imagine there must have been some moments or things that you could not release just because of the sensitivity of the information. So the stuff that you have not put into this for whatever reason, editing reasons or sensitivity reasons or whatever, will that stuff ever be released for the general public? Do you still have all of that? Have you saved it? And do you have any intentions of releasing it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean you're right, there's sensitive material and you know, even though Snowden has made the decision to sort of reveal his identity, I still have, there are obligations that I have uh, for source protection and um, so the outtakes are, um, you know, they're uh, they're out of the country right now and will remain out of the country. And I yeah I would like to release more. I mean there's I mean Glenn's first interview with Snowden on the first day is it's extraordinary and it's something I I definitely want to release and, and as well as other material, for sure. Thank you so much for this film. It's uh, the events of this has changed my life as far as joining the conversation. And I was wondering if you have um, expectations for this film. Uh, the response um, for me it was very intimate because I felt like I was watching my husband. <laughs> you know, this whole generation that grew up on technology and computers—that's it's very relatable. And do you think that the public's going to respond to that? Like, he's one of us. You know, as far as like, you know, how just I don't know. He's just one of us. He's but he's a hero. He's an icon. I mean, we, I'm working with a distributor, and it's going to be um, it's going to be released theatrically, and then HBO is is putting it. It'll be a, it'll be broadcast there, and so it will have a wide audience. And you know, we're th we're thrilled about that, and we're thrilled to be partnering with with both. And and I think, yeah, I mean, I that the type of work I do, I want to have that kind of you know that it's a an emotional experience and and hopefully and and I, yes i want audiences to connect on that level with with him and and what he did uh thank both of you for a good conversation first of all it's been very informative i want to go back to the film for a moment because there's so much crafting of this documentary under the pressure of getting it out how you sort of pace through that and the kind of aesthetic choices that you made particularly the the, the rear window view of this of Snowden and his partner just one window and many bit, uh, windows in a building which I think made him ordinary in a sense that he's not really ordinary those kinds of aesthetic choices the crumbling of the paper at the end of the film uh, th these are the things that elevated uh, this documentary not only because of its content because of its crafting and how did you find the space and the time to make those decisions under the pressure of getting it out? Um, yeah, to answer that question, I need to thank the people who, the 
the artistic collaborators who I made this film with, which is uh, Mathilde Bonfoy, who's my editor, Dirk Velotsky, my producer, Katie Scoggin, cinematographer and, and, um, and co-producer. Um, and we, I mean, we were very, they, we were, we're all people who come from this tradition of making cinema. And we were committed that we were going to not compromise in terms of um, what we wanted to say with this film. We weren't going to compromise emotionally, intellectually, in any way that we wanted to tell. We wanted to have something that would communicate, that would, that would have resonance not just today, but in five years and 10 years. And that we're not going to make decisions based on some kind of reactive um, to, to news or politics. Um, and but we've all been doing that. You know, we've all have a lot of experience, and we've been making films for a long time. So we just kind of had to keep the circle, you know, closed. We, you know, I. Um, everybody has just been, you know, ex extraordinary in terms of um, support and collaborative, and you know, in terms of the vision of the film, and all of the people who've supported it, and sort of and funding have also just let us do what we what we feel is right for this film. So we've kind of created a wall around it to protect it. And, and you know, knowing that there's this kind of, you know, storm going on around and expectations and all those kinds of things. And, and it, I mean, I've made films about sort of contemporary events before. And you, it happens where, you know, some news breaks and like your film looks different the next day. And you have to learn to filter, like not to become reactive. And so we had enough experience um, and, and knowing that, that this should be a testament to the people who are in the film and the risks that they took and that, and that have longevity, you know, and that we, we're not making, you know, in terms of breaking news, it's a documentary, a long form piece is not, doesn't exist to break news. It's not, it's, it has to have longer sort of um, uh, meaning for, for human understanding. So that's, but that's, you know, basically I'm working with great people and we, we've. But that scene uh, where Glenn was testifying, how did you think about putting it into the film? How did he feel about it being in the film? How did he feel? Okay. Um, I mean, this, this actually is a really important scene, and um, um, our pro uh, producer, um, uh, Dirk, was, was, was really hungry. Like, we need something that really talks about the consequences. Like, what are the dangers of this, of loss of privacy? What are the dangers for society? What are the dangers for any kind of people who want to voice dissent? What are, you know, what are the negative consequences? And that was really important. And, um, and in the editing, is, you know, we, you know, that scene is sort of trying to establish that. Um, and, you know, where he t artic articulates that in a really profound way. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, that's what we hope this, the, that that scene that does and, um, and in terms of, you know, communicating the, um, the urgency around these issues. Thank you for your powerful body of work. I want to ask you a question that reflects about how you see this work and its effect on the consciousness of the people in our society. Uh, a few years ago, I recall you were at Yale when there was a conference on Iraq films. And there was a whole plethora of documentary filmmakers who had done extraordinary work like yourself. And the one thing that struck me was when Patricia Alfraheide of American University got up and put out the statistics that basically the public has not had any impact of these films at all. That the box office of all the films in general basically was very poor. And it reflected a question of what images are they seeing? They're seeing television, they're seeing uh, 
good quality stuff on uh, public television, but basically they're being bombarded by images from mainstream television and cable television. So the question of how the reception of these films is being taken by the public, and then you juxtapose this film you've just done, where, if I recall, you co-produced a film on the FBI, the raid on the FBI offices in Media, uh, Media Pennsylvania in 71, which did a big data dump revealing the surveillance state of the time. And you have these polls that show that the public opinion about this issue, particularly in young people, is with you completely, is with this, how, this great, powerful film you've done. I wondered how you juxtapose this, the fact that there's this complete fall off of consciousness about what has happened inside the Middle East. We can see that with what's going on right now in the past couple of months with how it's been covered, versus this, this story that you've been the center of with the, you know, basically the, the privacy of the world being exposed to the national security state of the United States and the United Kingdom. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, I, whatever, I don't make films for, you know, opinion polls or whatever. To ch I mean, you make films, we, we're driven to make films about, you know, human stories that hopefully move people, you know, I mean, that's, um, and, uh, and I think, though, the, you know, I, what I think that you're touching upon that, that resonates with me is why is it that, that so many things happen in the world that we actually are so indifferent to? Why are we indifferent to the fact that, for instance, Guantanamo is still open, or why are we indifferent to the fact that you know people are dying in drone strikes and you know if I think we can you know if you know another foreign country were flying drones over the United States and killing people in Texas it would be a news story you know we would be we would care about who those people are you know I mean there is this kind of disassociation of whose humanity matters and whose doesn't and I've certainly you know in the work that I'm trying to do is is make it about what are the, what are the human consequences of these policies and 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 if we understand what the human consequences are, not just intellectually, but but emotionally, you know, does that create a space in which policies can change or where policies become untenable? Um, and you know, that's uh, you know the work that I'm trying to do, and um, and you know that and that others are doing. Uh, Jeremy Scahill, my colleague, has been you know doing similar work um, around trying to um, look at the at the impact of um, drone warfare. So. Laura, I, I just wanted to ask, um, you know, you talk about the film really is a call to all of us to, to exemplify more courage. And I wonder if you've thought at all about um, where Snowden is right now. And, you know, I know that you're not trying to make an activist film or a film that, you know, drives opinion polls, but obviously when one sees the film, you, you, you feel called to, um, to take some kind of action or to think about how could we protect Snowden, um, who has, you know, obviously done something that is extremely patriotic in my view. And so I wonder if there's, if you can just comment a little bit about what the mechanisms of protecting him might be at this point. You know, he's, he's not going to be able to stay in Russia forever. And maybe you can't speak about any of it, um, but it's on my mind a lot. I mean, I would say, like, probably, you know, what, what people, I mean, he took extraordinary risks, and, um, and I think that what we can do as a society is actually rally around people who do those, who are, are willing to take such huge personal sacrifices to, 
to reveal information, and, and he's not the only one. I mean, there are, there are others, and I think that, you know, that is what, you know, we as, you know, citizens should be doing is, is you know, providing solidarity for those people um, when, when they are putting themselves so on, you know, on, uh, you know, risking so much. Um, and I think in terms of his, you know, personal um, situation, I mean, he, you know, he's working with extraordinary organizations. I mean, the ACLU is, um, you know, providing him um, legal counsel and that's, you know, that's been, uh, you know, that's where, I mean, I feel that he has, you know, real institutional support um, behind him. And uh, so, I, so I think maybe the answer is, is not so much to focus on him, but to focus on the risks that others take. Hi, um, I haven't watched the film, unfortunately, but I wanted to um, ask if you think that the security leak has actually weakened the level of surveillance um, that we were under before, or if it remains the same and there's just a lot of media kind of arguing the contrary. And I'd like to know what you think of that and also what Snowden thinks. Um, I, I can't speak for Snowden. I mean, I think there, these programs are still in place. I mean, I think that there's been a radical shift um, in sort of consciousness and awareness. And so, um, and there's been other types of shifts that happen, sort of, um, you know, commercial, like tech, technology, um, more encryption sort of coming forward. So we, we're seeing those kinds of shifts. But I think these programs are still um, largely in place. Um, and, uh, and so I think... Um, you know, we should, we should be, you know, very concerned um, about their potential misuse and dangers. Hi, um, I just have a question about, um, so you were talking about um, the risks that people were taking the whistleblowers. What, what about the risks that you took, and what do you think? Like, what what, what kind of risks did you take? And um, and now that you've made this really strong film, um, and is it it will the risks that and the dangers uh, hinder your future career, or do you feel like you can take on even more powerful topics or whatever? So you know about future and, and you as the risk taker. Right. I mean, the, the obvious, you know, the, the greatest risks, you know, um, were taken, you know, uh, in, you know, in this film by, by Snowden. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to say that there weren't uh, dangers and risks that, that Glenn and I, you know, and Ewan and Barton Gelman, everyone reporting on this um, was confronting real threats um, and to do this reporting. Um, and, you know, Glenn in particular, I think, um, received, I mean, there was sort of uh, really aggressive attacks of him um, that, that happened uh, in, the, in the initial um, uh, weeks after, after Hong Kong, and, you know, which also um, resulted in his, his partner being detained. So the risks are real. Um, it, I'd be wrong to say that, that that's not the case. Um, I, you know, I, when he contacted me, I'd already, you know, I'd already decided to leave the United States because I didn't feel I could protect my source material here. So I was already sort of aware that um, uh, that 
that these were dangerous waters, you know, to work as a, as a journalist. Um, and when it became clear the magnitude of, you know, uh, of what he'd be releasing, we knew, I mean, that we were going to be angering the most powerful people in the world. And that obviously comes with risk. Um, I think it's probably, you know, the, the intensity of that was probably the most um, extreme in the immediate aftermath and has somewhat um, maybe stabilized. Um, but uh, but it, it's, it, I, th I, th I think that we were able to, you know, working, working with Glenn and, uh, and because we sort of approached this um, maybe from a bit of an outsider perspective in terms of how we how we the the stories unfolded um, both cre it created a certain power of its own you know that we were that we were publishing in a kind of unpredictable way I mean I was in Germany um, you know he was working in Rio and and that um, I think made it that 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 for I think for for a while the US government didn't quite know what how to respond to, to what was happening um, which probably provided some sort of cushion of, um, you know, a, a way in, or a space in which we could, we, we kept, we were able to work. I'm just going to jump back in with a, with a question. Um, we've, we've been talking about this body of work as a, as a trilogy. Um, do you, is, is, is that, is that accurate? <laughs> Because it will debut. It's, it's, yeah, it's a trilogy okay, that, might have, is, that ha might have a prequel and a sequel. You know, so <laughs> it might have some little branches that will like go in different okay. directions. I, I don't know yet. I mean, I'm not going to um, uh, sort of contain like if, if there are stories that sort of emerge from this. Um, and as I said, I've, I was shooting a lot of other footage, and I, there's another you know project in there. But so it's it's a bit too soon to mm -hmm. to say. Uh, one more from me. Some, um, some, a few people remarked on the, the craft of the film and in the art of the film. I remember when we were talking about the oath, um, you told me that you drew inspiration from fiction. Um, I, I think you, said, you told me that you were reading a lot of Don DeLillo when you were shooting in Yemen. Um, and uh, I was wondering if there were any sort of models uh, or anything that you and Matilda you know, thought about in terms of shaping this material um, that you drew from fictional models. You hear at a certain point um, on the TV somebody talk mentions John Le Carre, of course, right, right. and yeah. which is an obvious one. But I mean, in the when I started getting the emails that that winter, I, I did a reread of 1984. I thought it was a good time to do that, and um, and it, it it resonated. I have to say, it resonated. Um, and particularly, there's this description of. Um, like writing in a journal and having to go to the corner of your room to write in it because you didn't know where the camera might be that would be pointing at you. I mean, that was kind of a bit the experience of working working on this journalism. Like not, I mean, I was checking my email from, I would go to a sort of a public place that wasn't associated with me with a computer that I bought um, with cash and like just never quite knowing where the eye is and, and, and how to sort of stay, you know, to sort of how you, how to, how to, uh, both work in a way that you can avoid surveillance, but also it's more about like the hindrance of a creativeness. Like I, I find that I can't write on my computer if my com computer is connected to the internet because I don't trust that my computer is not being, you know, um, you know, in real time perhaps monitored. And that's, people could say that's paranoid, but I think in this case, 
you know, it'd be foolish to think that I'm not a target, and uh, and I know that they have every capability to do that. So, so you find like how to carve out a a space in which to do creative work became challenging, um, and that sort of was resonated in you know in 1984, where it's not about it's it's about the the uh, the, the internal like you internalize. Um, uh, the idea that you might be being watched and then how does that impact your ability to, to do creative work and that I've had to find that I did things you know when I recorded the voiceover I checked into a hotel because I wasn't I felt like I couldn't read these words honestly or it with you know you know, and I guess I could say freely in my house because I wasn't sure my house was or was not uh, under surveillance, and there were things that maybe I didn't want to, you know, publish. So having to go to another place to do that, or you know, so those are the, you know, that's the kind of navigating those things, and hopefully, you know, the, 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 I mean, at the end of the film where you see Glenn writing notes, I mean, you get sort of a reality check, and it's like, oh well, this is journalism under surveillance, you can't, you can't actually talk about what it is that you're trying to communicate. You go back to analog, you know, it, that's, I mean, the film takes us, you know, into, you know, back to the analog world. I mean, I, I haven't used a, been carrying a cell phone for the last year just because I figure that if anyone wants to know where I am, they're going to have to spend, they're going to have to send someone to find out. I'm not going to like, carry something that I know can broadcast exactly where I am. You know, that if they want to know where I am, they'll have to work a little bit harder. And um, so, I mean, those kinds of things, you know, it's like how to navigate and, and continue to work. And, um, and hopefully the, the film kind of is able to express something about, about that. And so I guess, you know, to answer your question, be Orwell would be the person who who's informs uh, the film. That makes sense. Um, okay, so let's take a few more. Uh, I think this hand at the very back of the room, yes? Can we? Thank you. First of all, I also want to thank you and congratulate you on a great, amazing film. Probably it was the longest standing ovation I heard in the entire festival. <laughs> and um, uh, from the storytelling uh, point of view, for me as an audience, some part I felt a little bit lost when the last scene with Snowden was the one in China. And then we don't know exactly what happened and all the way back, like back in Russia. So I was wondering, I would really love to see what happens. It must be extremely difficult being in transit of an airport until everything sorted out. Was it your choice not to show, show it, or was it maybe filmed, edited out, or it was basically not possible? So you're saying you would like to have seen how he, like in the transit airport and that kind of stuff, yeah. I mean, sort of the, the, the filmmaking principle is that you know, we're, we're, we've, what I can, you know, what I'm able to film is the material that I'm drawing from. And um, I actually did ask him when he was, when he was being held in the, um, in the transit zone, if I could come and, and film. And it was, it was risky and, and I wasn't able to. Um, s certainly if I had been able to, it probably would have been in the film. But, um, but I'm somewhat constrained by where, where I was able to, to, to be in order to document. And we had, you know, in the editing, at some point we brought in more arch archival material to tell parts of stories where I wasn't present. And then it, it, it didn't work. The film kind of rejected those. They felt like they felt like another film. So we, we made the decision to stay close to the protagonist that, that we were, um, you know, uh, following. So that would be Glenn or, or me or Snowden and not try to tell stories that we actually didn't have 
you know, we, we weren't on the ground to, or I wasn't there to film. So those were choices that we made um, while editing. Uh, so this is a little bit more of a political question. I haven't been able to see the film. I, I was too late to buy the tickets and too late to get into line the last couple of days. Um, but I'm really intrigued. I can't wait. Uh, but that's a question more about the sort of perturbations in ideology that come out of, the, you know, what, what happened with Snowden. Uh, there's obviously there, in, in ideology, like what sort of happened um, sort of for the Democratic Party, you know, you had a Democratic president while this, while this occurred. Um, there were those who, you know, treated Snowden as this sort of Ron Paul libertarian who was threatening uh, the presidency of Obama or something. This was going to be, you know, uh, all, all of this was just discussed on, on, on that level on, on, on one end. But what you've actually sort of seen is this, those who are supportive of Snowden, those who are critical of the NSA, are kind of crossing lines, Democrat and Republican, and those who are sort of backing the government are also crossing lines. And I'm wondering what the, um, how you would explain that sort of phenomenon or uh, what your discussions are like with Snowden around larger ideological issues. I mean, in terms of how to explain it, I mean, I think that you can sort of maybe look at it like who is closest to power was going to tell you who's aligned with the government and who's maybe, you know, and where, you know, I think the further maybe you are away from power uh, will, you know, the, the people who are critical of what's happening. And, and, you know, you have both the Democratic and the Republican Party that have, you know, that, that, that support um, the, the NSA. I mean, you have that kind of coalesce, coalescing around that. So I think that, the, 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 I mean, it has been interesting to see un, unexpected alliances emerge um, uh, around this reporting. So you have, you know, support from both, both the left and the right. But in terms of his politics, I, 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 I'm, I, can't, I can't speak to that. Hello. Thank you, first off, um, for your work. It was really great. Um, my just question was um, that I know that there are methods of encryption that the public can use to protect our identities, but I also know that um, using networks such as Tor browser and Linux and whatnot could also put us on a list. So <laughs> as a general that's why public... More, that's why more people have to use it. But I find that when I talk to a lot of um, peers about this exact issue, and I try to um, explain to them the importance of doing this, they are sort of hesitant to even try it because they're afraid that they'll be targeted. So um, what can we do as the public who is just so, especially the younger public, which is still using Facebook and using social media to reach out to each other, how do we do this safely and how, what steps can we take to protect ourselves? Um, steps that the government, you know, can cannot put us on a list. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think that, you know, the more people who use encryption technologies, the better, you know, and the more people who, dem who, who demand that companies provide those technologies, the better, because they, A, they should protect their own privacy, and B, there are people who actually maybe need it more than they do, you know, if that's journalists or that's activists or, you know, anyone who's doing something that, that they need, um, that where that privacy really the stakes are high. I mean, so the more people who can embrace it, the better, and 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 which just makes it harder for. Uh, and I, so I would say to you know those people that um, uh, that it you know in terms of just basic solidarity that using using encryption technologies um, will you know enable um, those of us who need them to to be able to also you know communicate securely. Congratulations, it's a very moving film. You've mentioned uh, that the US is dangerous waters now to work for journalists. 
is there, are you hopeful that this film will change that scenario? Can you say that again? I'm, I heard earlier that you mentioned that this uh, is a dangerous waters to work for journalists. And so I was thinking that it's the US. And are you hopeful that this film will change the scenario? I mean, I think what we're, you know, we've seen sort of unprecedented targeting of journalists that, you know, that's been widely reported. So you have Jim, Jim Risen of the, of the Times is being asked, you know, to um, testify against a source. We have the targeting of AP to try to find out their sources. I mean, it's, um, it is, so these are sort of bad times. I think that um, the, uh, the institutions, um, uh, I think that there are some institutions that are, uh, not happy that this, you know, the story didn't go to them first. And so I think that maybe uh, that it will embolden, you know, them to be maybe less risk averse and that we sort of set a precedent like of being, being aggressive in our reporting and that, and that also aggressive in terms of protecting sources and, 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 and um, that, that that sort of set maybe hopefully raises the bar some. And so that's, I mean, right now I'm, I'm working with, um, with both Glenn Greenwald and Jeremy Scahill at The Intercept. And, and I think that the thing that I'm most excited about is like working with them is that the kind of uh, commitment to, to doing aggressive reporting and, and also to, to protect sources. And, um, and I think that hopefully that um, it, it creates an environment where other news organizations and other journalists um, are also, yeah, less, perhaps less risk averse that, that we've seen in the sort of post 9-11 era where stories that we know are of public interest have been suppressed um, at the request of the government. And so um, th hopefully, you know, this maybe pushes that, makes that harder to do. I think we have to wrap up. I'm just going to throw one, one final question uh, for you, which is, you know, I think there's something about this film and how it's sort of, um, now it's, you know, premiere which kind of mirrors uh, what we see in the film. We have you know, Snowden in the hotel room and then suddenly the news breaks and you see him on this like, large video screen. You've been working on this film at a furious pace in a very small group of people and now suddenly, as of last night, thousands of people have seen it. Can you talk a little bit about what... Um, it may be too soon, I know, but like... A, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually really strange for me to stand up on a stage or sit down on a stage and, and talk about these things, which I was not talking about, or to make things public. I mean, the end of the film was something that, uh, you know, three people knew for, until yesterday. And and so we've been very, I mean, our, our distributors, our funders, they, they you know, were made aware of what's at the end of the film very, very, very recently. And so it's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a shock to, to have this, to put it into the world. And, um, uh, and yeah, and I still quite haven't, I don't quite know what the reverberations are. But I think that, you know, from what I've, was a, what I've been able to sort of pick up on or being in screenings is, is to open, to, to let people um, have an understanding of the, the, uh, the, the reasons that Snowden did what he did and to have a greater insight in, in, into that and to come to their own conclusions rather than to sort of make those decisions based on sort of um, uh, mainstream narratives that are very removed from the actual, you know, person, so. Well, thank you, Laura. It's been a real privilege for us to have the film here. Thank you.
The Close-Up is produced by the Film Society of Lincoln Center, a member-supported nonprofit arts organization. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society works to recognize established and emerging filmmakers, support important new work, and enhance awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do, visit filmlink.com, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.com. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.